following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. When they got to a certain part, they heard a voice shouting out, one U.S. Marine is better than 10 ISIS dogs. And so the commander stopped his forces and he sent out 10 of his, 10 of his fighters over the sand dune. And there was this gun battle and screaming and shouting and all of a sudden it got all quiet. And uh, then a voice came out from the quietness and said, one U.S. Marine is better than 20 ISIS dogs. So the commander got really mad and he sent over 20 of his fighters and they went over and they had this big gun battle and all of a sudden there was complete silence. Then out of the silence, a voice said, one U.S. Marine is better than a hundred ISIS dogs. So the warriors, a hundred of them, ran over the sand dune. There's this long, drawn-out battle. And all of a sudden there's quiet. And there was no voice, but there was one of the ISIS fighters came stumbling over the hill, all bloodied, wounded, mortally shot. Comes up to his commander and says, don't send any more. It's a trick. There are two of them. I don't know if you've uh, ever had a Marine who was a, a friend who was a Marine, but they are, they are some tough dudes. And I, I remember the first time that I got connected with a bunch of Marines. Uh, this guy was a master sergeant and one of the most gentle, kindest, on fire for Jesus Christ person I've ever met. And after our friendship was built, it was over in Scotland and he was on, a, he was on loan by the United States to the British there was a contingent of U.S. Marines up there guarding one of the submarine watch stations because all the Russian submarines had to go around Scotland in order to get out into the Atlantic. So they tracked every one of these, and uh, they used a U.S. Marine contingent to guard the base. So we, we really just talked about the Lord for the longest time, for, for many, many months. And then finally he says, you know, if you guys ever want to come out to the base and visit, just let me know. I said, Sure. And I said, uh, how about uh, next weekend? We'll come out and uh, visit the base, and then we'll go to the church that you're a part of. And he says, terrific. So we showed up, and we just had the greatest visit. And he says, well, let's come, go out to the base, and uh, I'll show you around. And so we got into his uh, POV, personally owned vehicle. And uh, they always, they, the closer they get to the base, the more they speak in these little abbreviations. And uh, he came out with his fatigues on. And he was fully dressed, fully armed. And then he stopped outside the gate and he jumped into one of the, the military vehicles. And uh, we drove into the base. And it was like this transformation. I mean, it was no longer, I, I would have I defined Dennis as gentle and kind and gracious. But as soon as we got onto the base, man, he was one tough dude. And every one of the people who was a rank below him snapped to attention. And he would give them this smart salute, and his, his voice changed. It got deeper, and he didn't say as many words. But every word that he spoke, everybody who was under his command would absolutely obey and snap to attention and respond. And I remember us going around, he's showing me all of the little listening components. And then uh, one of the couple of Marines came by, and they snapped to attention. And he said, oh, I want you to meet some of our brothers in Christ. 
And I've never had a Christian fellowship that said, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir. And, and to, to stand there and not even look at me, but have this thousand-yard stare right past my eyes. And I'm kind of looking, leaning into them, looking at these guys. I, and I've always thought that, man, oh, man, what, what an amazing phenomenon when these guys give their, their soul, their life, and commitment and devotion and loyalty to this nation and to the Marine Corps. And I always thought to myself, I wonder how tough Christians are when it really comes down to our commitment to our Savior. We've uh, been studying the life of Christ now for the first nine chapters of the Gospel of Mark, and it is amazing. The life of Christ unfolds as he tries to present himself as Messiah. And the nation of Israel, they're responsible not just to have individuals make the commitment to him like it is for us today, but it was the national leadership, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, the teachers, who were supposed to make this commitment of faith. But they chose not to believe Jesus. They resisted him with everything he said, with every miracle he performed. And so as Jesus Christ realized that in their heart they had decided not to accept Christ, not to accept and believe in Messiah, Jesus Christ held them at bay until he could spend more time teaching his disciples to build up their faith because he knew that with their rejection of him, the the leader's rejection of him, that they would kill him. That was God's plan all along. But now Christ held up at bay before they can actuate their failed belief so he can train the disciples to take over once he was gone. So there's this dual track we can watch in the Gospel of Mark. Now just in case we miss that dual track, suddenly Jesus Christ leaves the area of Jerusalem where all the leadership of Israel is, and he goes down south and across the Jordan River to an area by Judea called Perea, and he reteaches everything. So for six components, we're going to see everything that Jesus Christ taught in chapters 1 through 9, but he does it in an abbreviated section so that the toughness of life and the toughness of faith can manifest itself. I just did a little Google search and uh, put in the words uh, tough toughness or tough life or tough situation, and uh, it's amazing to me how many times uh, this, this kind of thing came up with the lives of people who have scars that cannot see what the truth might be. And then some humorous ones, of course, like a little boy who's uh, going through a difficult moment and is not too happy. And then a picture that probably all of us can imagine us being in, whether it's athletics or in life. We know that there's an objective, we know there's a challenge, and we give it our best. Other people have accomplished it, and we just miss. We just come up a little short. And we're frustrated and we're embarrassed and we're irritated and we're annoyed that life for us is harder for others who are taller, have a stronger ability, have more experience. But then sometimes we forget that the natural built abilities and the things that God has blessed us with, other people in this world don't have those things. And yet they continue to go through challenges, finding a way to make it work. And the blessings that we have, sometimes we overlook because we think about the things we haven't been able to accomplish. And then sometimes we're, we're, we're highly tuned to what we can accomplish, but for some reason the circumstances are just way beyond our, our capacity and our ability just, just isn't there. Well, one of the most amazing things about life and what chapter 10 is going to teach us is that, yeah, life is full of tough things. But if we trust the faith that God has given us and trust him, who wants to guide us through a life of faith, there is always a solution and always an answer. And so we go back to John Wayne, the Duke, 
and we realize that maybe he had something wise to say a long time ago. Life is tough, but it's tougher when you're stupid. So we translate that back into the Bible, and we realize God has given us a pattern of faith to live. And in tough times, with difficult circumstances surround us, we still trust the same faith, whether things are good or things are bad, things look impossible or things look possible. So we're going to turn our attention to Mark chapter 10, and there are six lessons here in this passage of Scripture that uh, to give us a guideline about summarizing a lot of what we've learned already in, in the first nine chapters, look at a microcosm of some of the toughest things in life and how faith is going to address those issues as we become followers of Jesus Christ. So here in the scripture, we have a, a large section of, of the Bible here that touches one of the more difficult issues of life, and that's the area of marriage and divorce. So here, some of the Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her on her way. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. I suppose in a situation like this, when life uh, gets really difficult, divorce is one of those tough moments in life that probably has touched every one of our life, either directly or indirectly. We who are men of faith need to have an answer. And when that particular question was presented to Jesus Christ, it was presented in a complicated question. They tried to trick Jesus and tried to set up the parameters, give him a multiple choice and give him only two choices. There were two very different schools of thought. One school among the, the religious leadership said, for any reason that a man decided, a husband decided, to divorce his wife, he could do it. It was up to him. It was his prerogative. There was another school that was very rigid and said, no, the only reason you can get a divorce if there's unfaithfulness on the part of your spouse. So they essentially presented these two schools of thought to Jesus and says, which one is it? And Jesus Christ never answered that question. Instead of answering the question about divorce, Jesus Christ laid the groundwork and revisited the principle and the point of what God intended with regard to marriage. So Jesus Christ never answered the question about divorce, but he elevated the definition of what marriage was all about. Sometime when you get a chance, meditate over what Jesus Christ did here, and the preciousness of the relationship of marriage was so important to Jesus that that was what he said to these Pharisees. It's not the answer to when you can get a divorce. The answer is how to honor the marriage that God intended from the very beginning. Tough issue in life. We've got to be able to have a good answer if we are going to be men of faith. The second kind of uh, lesson that came up here was one that revealed some of the heart of the disciples as individuals who, as general men, can be very annoyed or irritated when they were inconvenienced. Now think about that, gentlemen. Men can be easily inconvenienced and annoyed when things don't quite go the way that we define them. That's what this passage of Scripture is teaching. Men of faith live differently than responding first to what annoys them. 
people were bringing little children to Jesus to have them touch them, have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. Now remember now, these are the guys who've been walking with Jesus for years. So they rebuked the parents and the children for coming and bothering Jesus. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Now, if you're not familiar with the word indignant, it means that Jesus Christ got really ticked at his disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but if I ever saw something that ticked off Jesus Christ, I would pay attention because I wouldn't want to reproduce that. So here, Jesus Christ is ticked at his disciples. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Why in the world are you annoyed by that? I'm not. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It's not talking about children's ministry. It's now Jesus Christ transforms this into something spiritual. And that's why the faith lesson of chapter 10 is so powerful. I tell you the truth, anyone, not just children, anyone who's a human being who will not receive the kingdom of God, who who will not receive the kingdom of God is like a little child will never... uh, Let me read this again. (laughs) I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So it's not just about children's ministry. It's about any human being and the simplicity that a child has when they come to Jesus Christ with that kind of simple faith. Gentlemen, no matter how old we get or what season of life we find ourselves in, we've got to maintain the simplicity of childlike faith as that approachability to who Jesus Christ is and our Father in heaven. So Jesus Christ is highlighting this very important treasure of life that we men of faith need to bring. No matter how uneducated, no matter how inexperienced, no matter how troubled a person might be, if they have simple faith to come into the presence of Almighty God, that is something that we applaud and immediately recognize this is our opportunity to bring along and encourage somebody in their approach to who God and Jesus Christ is. Disciples are never too busy to be concerned with children or a childlike faith. Jesus is never too busy for any life coming to him in faith. The amazing lesson of what people can see with their eyes and what they can see by their spiritual eyes of faith is a huge difference. So this week when you go to your workplace and you interact with people over the weekend and you see people at church or you interact with a relative or a long-lost friend, if they suddenly recognize that maybe you're the kind of person who is a faith individual and they don't know who else to turn to because there's nobody else in their life who's a faith individual and they reach out with just sort of a simple inquiry. I was just thinking about life and death recently and it just has me a little concerned. It doesn't have to be a very sophisticated statement, but whenever someone reaches out like that to any of us, we recognize that as childlike faith and we stop. And we recognize that God has built into this relationship what they have seen in us and what we now have the privilege to guide them along the way. That simplicity of childlike faith is a huge part of this whole lesson that God brings us. Here's the third thing, and it's a long one. A man ran up, good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. You know the commandments. Teacher, all these in reference to the commandments I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Notice that amazing presentation. He looked at this man and he loved him. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come 
follow me. Now, that's not a lesson that all of us should be relinquishing ourselves of all economic possibility. It's not. It's a matter of where our heart is. So this young man came to Jesus and said, hey, I'll do anything to follow you. And he knew that he had not. Faith doesn't play games with our soul. We don't try to say something with our mouth and our words and try to convince God of our faith when we really haven't done it with the things that we still hold on to, things of this world, while we give the outward impression of being men of faith. That's all that's about. It's about being honest with our soul and what we really are depending upon. So to be genuine in eternal life and things that are spiritual, keep the commandments, sure, but that's a means to the answer. That's all that is. It's an external that should be a reflection of what is internal. God's interest is in what is inside our heart, not just what we say or try to impress other people with. I don't know if, uh, if, you're, a, if you're a member here at Houston's First, Pastor Greg's been having his team play some of these uh, testimonies of people who've been challenged by Mission 1-8. And you, you can never tell a difference of, of, of those people to anybody else sitting next to you or even maybe ourselves. But you hear their testimony about when it comes to money, they find themselves to be stingy and a tightwad. And on the outward side, it looks like they're active members here at the church. For some reason, money has a grip on us as human beings. And we could talk all we want about words of faith, but we know what is true inside of our spirit. And that's what this lesson is all about. Faith is not about holding back. It's not about how we impress other people with what we say to them. Is what we know is true in our spirit because God knows exactly what is true in our spirit. So as we think about this summary of the message of Jesus Christ, he's not pulling any punches. He says life is tough. And when we face tough issues with regard to being annoyed, when we face issues when life is hurting other people through issues of divorce, when life issues are tough for us and we're trying to fool everybody, but what we say or how we live and we know that in our heart we're holding something back from God, faith living is, is all about genuineness and reality and real living and sincerity. So what we say is what is true. How we act is what is genuine. Nothing hidden, nothing held back, but just that genuine, sincere faith. Here in chapter 10 and verse 32, he speaks about something that's very important. They were on their way up to Jerusalem when Jesus, with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. There's something very special about the resurrection, but the prerequisite to the resurrection is death, and the prerequisite to that death was the ignominy that Jesus Christ had to experience, the humiliation, the suffering, the absolute embarrassment in front of other people. If Jesus Christ did that for us, and he calls us to follow him and walk in his steps, it means that a life of faith is not going to be easy. If we think that life 
by faith living is simple and everything's going to fall in place, we've not been hearing what Jesus Christ is saying. The life of faith is always challenging. It is always difficult. It's fraught with pain. It's fraught with humiliation. I teach people who are going into the ministry, whether it be a pastor or a missionary or a Christian leader, and we just tell them, you're here not because this is a career where you're going to get rich. If you think you're going to get rich by being in the ministry, you're not intellectually qualified to be here. <laughs> but there is a reality, and that is this will be incredibly painful. It's just a guarantee. When you live a life of faith and teach a life of faith, it will always be difficult. We talk about the fire that people have to go through and the excruciating pain of betrayal, what it's like to give your life to the, lot of the people that you shepherd and to have them turn around and bite you. Human beings are the only ones that if you feed them, they still can, on their own volition, turn around and betray you and bite the hand that feeds them. And I just tell our students, that's a reality, but just because it happens, it doesn't mean you failed. It's part of the calling that God has given to every one of us. And everyone who has lasted in the ministry, we can look back and realize that is a truism, that we've had to face life with regard to that kind of pain. Christ says, I had to do it. This is a life I want you to follow in. But don't forget, it's not about the pain. It's about the reward that follows after. Because the disciples only heard about the death. And even though Jesus Christ made it very clear, they did not hear the words of the resurrection. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45, we have the fifth lesson about being tough that Jesus Christ gives us. Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. To sit on my right hand or my left is not for me to grant. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and, the, and John. Jesus said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We men are facing a huge challenge because we're men. I mean, God designed us to be hunters and gatherers. So we're out there trying to make a difference for our family and those that we love. And part of that that drives us is the motivation and the ambition to succeed, to advance ourselves, to make it more comfortable for our family. But that ambition that becomes so much a part of the hours of our day have a challenge when it comes into conflict and in the face of living a life of a servant. Because a life of faith means we take the philosophy that whatever I can do to be a blessing to somebody else, that is my first objective. That is not the way we are taught in the work world. We are ambitious. We're looking for the opportunity to climb that ladder. We're looking for a chance not to take advantage of people, but to advance ourselves with regard to a significant career for the benefit of those who are around us. So as we feed that ambition, it goes and flies against the whole philosophy of what it means to be a servant. 
There is this particular objective. Selfish ambition is absolutely worthless, although ambition itself is very, very critical. Selfish ambition never fits into the kingdom picture. And that word never is intentional, not only in the scripture, but also in this lesson. Seek to serve, not to be great among other men. Now, we're, we are here, and we, we want to be hunters and gatherers, because that's the way God designed it. I mean, I, I have nothing, if you're vegan here, that's, you know, I fully respect that. <laughs> but it, just in case you never know, it, entomolo- et, etymology is the study of words and their origin. Etymology of the word vegetarian actually it comes from the Latin, and that means lousy hunter. So just in case you're wondering, I just thought I'd present that to you. And if you're vegan, vegetarian, that was a joke, okay? It was just a joke. But I had to find somewhere in this entire lesson of Mark to bring it up, and I've been waiting for weeks. The last great lesson about faith, and this one sums up everything that Jesus Christ is trying to say. As Jesus and his disciples notice that combination, Christ is trying to model and teach his disciples how to live a life of faith, because they're going to do it after he's gone. Together with a large crowd, we're leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, um, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Will you not read that so fast that you forget that what Jesus hears is Bartimaeus shouting out with a messianic title. So Jesus Christ is trying to teach his disciples, look at the religious leadership, they don't accept me as the Messiah. They're going to reject me. I need you to take over with faith because you believe that I am the Son of God, the Messiah that was promised. And all of a sudden as they're leaving the area and now they're going to go back to Jerusalem where Jesus Christ is going to die for them. The climax, the sixth lesson here and the composite here in Perea, down there by, by Jericho and by the Jordan River, Bartimaeus comes. And he's blind. He's not lame. He doesn't have an issue of blood. He doesn't have someone else who's sick. He's blind. And you tr- check throughout the entire scripture, all the miracles that were performed were someone who had a problem. The only one who ever healed blindness was Jesus. And sight was always a symbol of perception. Jesus Christ is trying to teach his disciples about faith, and faith is what now sees beyond what the eye can see in seeing into eternity and the values about what faith will gain. So now this blind man presents here, calls out to Jesus by a messianic title. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, not Jesus, but all those around him, told him, be quiet. But he shouted off even more, son of David. Now he begins with a messianic title. Have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the man. Cheer up. On your feet. He's calling you. First they told him, be quiet. You're an annoyance. You're a problem. Oh, Jesus calling. He must like you. Hey, good friend. I want to introduce you to Jesus. So these guys are all this very, very limited and, and responsive to the situation. He's calling you, throwing his cloak aside. He jumped up to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. And the blind man says, well, isn't it obvious, Jesus? He doesn't say that. He responds with his faith of what his need is. Rabbi, I want to see. 
Jesus Christ is eliciting this response from the man. If God came down to you in a personification, just like the person sitting next to you, and God looked to you in your eyes and says, what do you want from me? What would you ask of Almighty God? We don't have to imagine that that story, that scenario, because it's available for us at any time because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And your next time in your your private devotions, you you can just say, God, this is what I want more than anything else with the life you've given me and the life that I want to live for you. I want to be a man of faith. I want to be able to live for you so that others will see my life. That when tough times come, I will give them an answer. When tough choices come, I will step out with courage and faith. I will not be annoyed by the things that annoy normal human beings or used to annoy me. But I want to see through your eyes how to live my life. And so the scripture goes on. Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. There's no, even, no miracle that happens there. No, no fancy waving of a hand. No spitting. No mud. Go. Your faith has healed you. Because Christ, again, emphasizes the reality of faith as the key ingredient for living a life for him. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Blindness, no more. Spiritual sight, now forever. This is what faith is all about. Make a difference with a life of faith, and the satisfaction level that you will have will go beyond what anyone around you ever expects. I have a friend, that's a professional friend, Suzanne, back in Portland. I've met her just a couple times, but... Her ministry of her and her husband is just amazing. I've recommended it so many times to people who were in trouble in Portland, Oregon. Uh, she and her husband have developed a, a, a ministry where they contact grocery stores all over the city on a corporate level. So anytime food starts to get out of date and you can't sell it anymore, uh, we, we, we promise we'll, we'll come and collect, collect it that day. And uh, they begin to set up this contact situation and they said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to offer it to people who are in need. And uh, we won't sell it for a profit. It's just totally for ministry for families. And it's just amazing that their ability to make those kinds of contacts. And after years of recommending it, one, one, one time I just had a chance to go down and see the ministry for myself. And uh, they got a, a warehouse donated to them. They have to move around town because the, the donated space is, is limited on time. Then they oftentimes have to move or get bigger places. And they got the thing set up almost like a, a miniature Costco. Nothing fancy, nothing beautiful, but all in, in stacks that are easy for people to find things. They got things arranged. And people simply pay $25 a month for an entire family. And they can go in and visit this, this warehouse several times during the month and take all that they need. Just 25 bucks a month, and they can take all the food that they need. And all they have to do is show up, I think, once or twice a month to help stock the shelves, help be there at the desk to check people in, help monitor it so they don't have to pay a staff to do all this. They have the volunteers who are beneficiaries of it to take it. And I remember talking to Suzanne. I said, this is amazing what you've done. And she said, it's gone beyond food, Bruce. And she showed me all, all the clothes that they have lined up. For children, 
and bicycles and toys that are all brand new. They're not going to broken box or scuffed up or something, but they're all brand new, never used before. And, and families can come in and take those things as well. And they give away uh, fun things for children and toys every once in a while. And I, I said, boy, I'd love to have a tour. So she walked me around and a couple of friends walked me around and, and I got to push a card and they showed me how they can take things for whether fresh produce or dairy or, or canned goods and and everything was is wonderful. And I looked up and I saw I saw a guy. And he looked up and saw me and he smiled, Hey Bruce. And I thought, My goodness, what in the world's he doing here? I remember him. He was a student of mine. And I remember what a lousy student he was. And how he laughed off bad grades. And he turned into assignments that I knew was was below par. I thought, man, here's, here's a guy going to the ministry, and I'm so sure I'm very proud of him. And, and then all of a sudden, Suzanne said, are you okay? Oh, I just recognized one of your clients. And she smiled. And Bruce, we let anybody who comes, we never question anyone. That's up to the Lord. We've given this ministry to him. And everyone who comes in, it's not for us to decide about them. It's up to us to provide this ministry for anyone who finds themselves in need. All of a sudden, I just felt myself cut in my heart. I felt like the the disciples who were annoyed that the kids were coming and bothering Jesus. But I thought, I, I wouldn't have let him in because I would have judged him because I wasn't looking through eyes of faith like Suzette. I was looking through eyes of a human being who thought, here is somebody who doesn't deserve to be here. But that's up to God to work in the hearts of them. It's up to me to provide the ministry for all. Guys, living a life of faith is not easy because life is tough. Circumstances are tough. We are tough on ourselves because of our own biases. But living a life of faith, God will reward it if we stand against all of those challenges that try to distract us from living the way that God wants us to live. Have a great table talk. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.